Let Tend Dental make your dream smile a reality. We offer a variety of top-rated treatments, including Invisalign aligners. And for a limited time, Tend is offering $750 off orthodontic treatments. Offer valid through January 31st, so don't wait. Visit hellotend.com slash sale. That's hellotend.com slash sale. And book your free consult today. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry, built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. And with available features like heated seats and a multimedia touchscreen, you can stay connected in comfort and style. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle. From the hip and agile sedan to the sporty hatchback, there's a dependable Corolla built just for you. Plus, both Camrys and Corollas are available in hybrid models. So no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and affordably. And right now, your local Toyota dealer has more vehicles in stock and is making delivery on new vehicles almost every day. So visit your local Toyota dealer. And check out amazing national sales event deals on Camrys, Corollas, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Offers end April 1st. Toyota, let's go places. Joining us now on Take Command, he is an analyst for the NFL Network, played nine years in the NFL. And before that, uh, he played at a, a very small football uh, school called called UCLA. I get, guys, did go. I get the uh, the letters right there? That is correct. Yeah. Okay, we was a teammate of uh, Logan Paulson. It says here Paulson. That is true. Yeah, uh, it's Maurice Jones Drew. Uh, MJD, welcome to the podcast. Oh, thank you, man. Listen, I, I'm not. I I really have to say this. Only reason I did it is because I saw Logan's name was on there. So. <laughs> That's fine. I just fine made sure me. I, I make sure I do true. the best I can uh, for my guy, man. Because he, see, people don't understand what it was like at UCLA. It was kind of before all the rules and all that, yeah. so many hours and all that stuff. And we put in a lot of work there. And uh, very excited to see uh, Logan's career, how it how it ended up and how it went. And now you're on the media side. So welcome to the dark side. Yeah, I mean, I followed you. I thought, man, that Maurice has it figured out. I'm just give it, give it a nice little follow there. So you yeah. you you paved the way, man. Let me tell you. I for once, that. you know, Maurice paved the way for you as opposed to the other way. <laughs> exactly. That's exactly. true. That um, now, true. of course, there was another uh, pretty relevant person uh, who was with you guys at UCLA, and that is Eric Bieniemy. Uh, so I want to start talking a little bit about EB and uh, what we think it'll look like here with him as the OC, and then we can circle back to some UCLA story time. But uh, I'll start with this simply, Maurice. Like when when he got the job, or, or as it was kind of unfolding over the last week or so, what did you think about the fit from Eric's side of things, and then from the Washington side of things? Uh, well, first and foremost, you know, there, there's been some chatter about him as a coach or not, and I, I always tell people like, if you've never been in a room with him, if you've never sat down, and, and don't get me wrong, he is hard. He's a hard coach, and I've never been around a coach in my whole career that hasn't been hard and, and, and people haven't been successful. So if you look at his track record before he, I got to UCLA, he was with Chris Brown, who was up for the Heisman Trophy. He was his running back coach at Colorado. One of the reasons I ended up following him from Colorado to UCLA. Uh, from there, he goes and takes Chester Pitt. Uh, is it Chester Taylor? Chester Taylor, Just who was Taylor. in Minnesota before Adrian Peterson. He has a Pro Bowl year. Right. He was a third down backup in Baltimore, goes to Minnesota, becomes a pro bowler. Obviously, Adrian Peterson goes out. Then he goes to Jamal Charles in Kansas City, 
where Kansas City struggled. And between that that stint from Minnesota to Kansas City, he was the OC of the University of Colorado. Okay, now the questions that now this is where I think things get a little tricky before I kind of get into why it fits. He called plays there. Um, They were in a rebuild situation. That class they end up recruiting ends up winning the Pac-12 maybe three, four years later. Right. So they were recruiting and building a, a thing before he they end up all getting fired. I think after two years at Colorado goes to Kansas City. Jamal Charles is still, I think, has the highest yards per carry average of his career in the NFL. Um, and then last but not least, it's not by chance the Kansas City Chiefs have been to five AFC championship games and three Super Bowls while him being the OC. Now, like I said, LaShawn McCoy has gone out and he said some things about him. He doesn't appreciate, you know, the way he's talked to people or Andy Reid kind of ran the offense and all those things. Like, that's what Andy Reid does. He's always ran the offense. He's always had his imprint on that. I've never not seen Andy Reid with a play call sheet in his hand. If it, if it was Doug Peterson, if it was Matt Nagy, whoever the OC was at the time that he had, he always had a play call sheet in his hands because he helps develop plays. That's part of what happens. Um, I think it was important for him to kind of branch away and show that he can obviously call plays by himself. But let's not take into consideration when Patrick Mahomes became the starter, Eric Bieniemy became the OC at the same time. He won an MVP. He was Super Bowl MVP. He's done that twice. They've won two Super Bowls since he's been there. My question is, can Kansas City do it again without him being there? And and the reason I say that is he has a, a uncanny ability to hold everyone accountable. I mean, Logan, we've been in college together. If Logan didn't block his guy, even though he was coached by one of the best tight end coaches that I, I've seen in the game and John Embry, Eric Bieniemy would say something about it. If I didn't do my yep. job, he would I mean, tell me about it. No matter, I was an All-American. I mean, he. it doesn't matter if you're All-Pro. It doesn't matter anything. He's going to hold you accountable to doing your job. And, and that's what it takes to be a champion. Now, you know, some people can't handle that type of coaching, and, and that's on that person. But to me, I think you're going to see a new offense that is going to be crisp, explosive, uh, the attention to detail. He doesn't leave any tone, any stone unturned. I mean, I mean, listen, we would be in UCLA in protection meetings for two hours, and we ran the football, right? We didn't, we yeah. didn't throw the ball at UCLA. We, if yeah. we did, we threw it to tight to a tight end on a seam route off a play action pass. Like every stone was unturned, and so to me, um, I think it's a huge get for for Washington. I think now I don't know who the tri- who the quarterback is going to be. If it's going to be Sam Howard, they're going to go in the draft and draft someone. But it doesn't matter to me. You have playmakers there, and those guys are all going to levels going to be played up because he's not going to allow you to go into a a game unprepared for any um, situation that the defense gives you. So I, I think it's a great fit. I think it's a great fit for him to kind of run this show. I think it's a great fit for Washington kind of get some new blood in there and a different attitude. My question is like you guys are relatively close, uh, you you know, EB, but why is it taking him so long? You know, like I have a lot of respect for him. Like, why is it taking so long for him to get this opportunity? And this, this opportunity, which is kind of, you know, not a perfect opportunity, I guess. Um, I think um, there's multiple reasons, right? Like some people believe like, like, why hasn't he gotten a head coach? Like, I don't, like, I can't answer that question. Obviously I've talked to multiple owners about this, including Jacksonville who hired Doug Peterson. Um, and I, I spoke highly like, listen, I know what he's going to bring and it's going to be an atmosphere of work. It's going to be hard, but it's not going to be something that you're not able to, you'll see the results quickly, right? The fruits of your labor, but it's on those guys to hire him, right? That like, 
if I'm driving my, if I have a car and I want to put rims on it, I'm going to put rims on it. I'm going to do it. It's mine. So it's, it's their franchise. They could do whatever they want. And so I always tell people like, they're going to hire who they're most comfortable with and who they feel most comfortable with. Are they right all the time? Obviously not because every year there's seven, six or seven coaches that get fired. Some coaches off of one year, as we saw this year in Denver. Um, so I, I can't really tell you why the opportunity to be a head coach hasn't been there, but I, um, for an OC, it's not, not a lot of running back coaches get that opportunity, right? They yeah. always give them the, to quarterbacks or even some tight end coaches are now starting to get those opportunities. But I always tell people, at least I was trained by him and other running back coaches to be the, the second quarterback, right? I played with mm-hmm. a lot of rookie guys. So I had to know as a running back, you have to know the running game, the blocking scheme. You have to know the passing concepts, uh, especially if you're an Alvin Kamara, Christian McCaffrey type, a Dalvin Cook type where you're lined up at wide receiver. So you have to have that knowledge, and that coach has to be able to to help you, obviously, as you go on. Um, if you watch Jamal Charles's career, you saw him put him out of the – they got him out of the backfield a ton. A lot of that was EB, you know, thinking outside the box. So I'm excited. I, I think more than anything, this is an exciting opportunity for him to be able to you have Jack Del Rio and Ron Rivera who are all defensive coaches right like that is the brain trust in Washington is defensive coach right defensive minded so you literally get to run everything um what I'm excited about is you know uh Terry McLaurin um your two running backs in uh Gibson and Robinson uh my guy from Ohio State his, his name is slipping me right now um, uh Curtis Samuel Curtis Samuel right uh, Logan Thomas, if he's healthy and comes back, right? Like you have playmakers out there. You got to fix the offensive line a little bit, but you have the ability to be able to be explosive. I, I expect him to use Curtis Sims the same way they use Tyreek Hill, right? Finding ways to get them going. And so I'm excited to see what his offense looks like without, you know, that umbrella of Andy Reid on top of it. How do you think it will be different? Like, obviously he's going to take a lot from Reid, which is a good thing because Andy Reid's pretty freaking smart. Uh, but what do you think are some things that maybe he does a little bit differently or some of the core principles of his offense that if you're just a fan watching on Sundays or if you have a highly more highly elevated uh, understanding of the game and you're breaking it down, that you will see in an Eric Bieniemy offense that is truly EBs as opposed to the, the kind of collaborative right. nature of what he's been running in Kansas City? I, I hope they bring the fullback back, to be honest with you. <laughs> like, that to me – Everyone's yeah. in this 11 spread, all this stuff. Like, yeah, you bring a fullback back and you start beating people up. All of a sudden, the passing game becomes simple because now they have to load the box. You make it simple for any quarterback that comes in. Um, I thought Brian Robinson did a great job of running downhill. Antonio Gibson, you can move him around. You have two. Then you have uh, – okay, I slipped my mind again. You're going to have to edit this. The smaller running back, I was with him. I just D- – I've been doing uh, – DJ McKissick. No, or not JD, McKissick. McKissick or Jared Patterson. Jared Patterson. I trained Jared Pat. Well, I Did trained really? with him in Miami. We have the same agent. So you have, even with McKissick, you have another receiver, a former receiver. Like you have players that you can utilize. But I think going downhill and really setting the tone of games, if you look at some of the teams that, that were more physical, like the Niners, for example, the Niners played with their third and fourth string quarterback and still were just wearing teams out because – they were a physical team, and it's hard for teams to account for when everyone's in 11 and four receivers and whatever it may be. And so um, I think you'll see Logan Thomas line up a little bit wider than you know what you've seen just because of the Travis Kelsey element there. But um, to me, I, I think you're going to see a more physical. And 
and I know Scott Turner, uh, is a good friend of mine as well. He was more of a shotgun physical run, right? Shotgun runs. I think you're going to see more outside zone, inside zone, maybe some ISO in there, uh, which sets up your play action pass and still the ability to spread teams out and attack them with bubble screens and slip screens and down the field shots. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Yeah, absolutely, man. And so like, you know, everyone talks about EB and kind of how abrasive he is and you talked about that like i remember a story about you in college and this was one of my most vivid college memories we were doing blitz pickup okay and you were out there and you went to the right guy and the offensive line screwed it up right they let it let someone go free and i remember he yelled at you like i've never seen anybody get yelled at and this is like when you're up for like the heisman like you're in that kind of conversation and he kind of just yelled at you in a way that i was like what is going on and i was like why is he yelling at me going to the right guy and, and then you were like i went to the right guy he's like I don't give an F man. You got to make them right. And I was like, that is like the standard. He's got like this absolute crystal standard. Do you think everybody can handle that? I'm not sure. I, I and I, that's the thing. Like, I don't know if everyone can handle it, um, but he's going to push you to your limits, right? He's not going right. to allow you to get complacent. I, I mean, I could tell you. Uh, so the year before you got there, we played at Washington, right? Uh-huh. And I broke the Pac-12 record and almost set the NCAA record for rush yards in a game. The game, yeah. 326 yards in a game. And when we came back to the meeting, he was like, oh, this is going to be a quick meeting, short, like nothing easy, you know, light. I was like, oh, cool. We're going to see all my good plays. No. He showed every, every run play that I missed the hole where I could have rushed for 500 yards because the expectation is to be perfect, right? right? And if you're – Striving to be perfect, being great is nothing. And so mm-hmm. that was his mindset going forward. And it look, I was a 17-year-old freshman dealing with this. But over time, you understand, To a, as I got older, I, I appreciate that. I'd rather mm-hmm. you tell me to my face what's going on instead of what some coaches do. They wait till they get in these other meetings with other coaches. Ah, well, he didn't do it. Like, tell me so I can try to fix it, you know? Right. And I think a lot of players don't want to hear the truth sometimes, right? Because, mm-hmm. like, well, I'm great. I've done this. And. I've done that. Like, no, I, I want to be perfect. I want you to tell me, like, my mindset was always about trying to be the best player, period. Not the best that I could be. I want to be known as the best. And obviously, we had Reggie Bush in L.A. at the time. Yeah. We had so many guys. So there were some days that he got on my nerves a little bit. But I understood what the purpose of it was, right? It was to be the best ever. And so, just like you said, like, the offensive line might have messed up. And he'd have been like, well, you should have jumped on their guy. Yeah. Right? You saw your guy being blocked. You should have went to their guy. Right? And so – the standard of expectation that he holds you to is, is some people may say unreasonable, you know, but you know, <laughs> no, that, I, that, I get you. I got you. Like, again, like I always tell people, everyone that played in that backfield with me at UCLA or was coached by, by the enemy maximized their career, mm-hmm. right? Michael Petrie uh, was our fullback. He's a coach at, he's a running back coach for the Falcons right now, Yeah, but he maximized his career. He was able to go to Chicago and play. He got in the coaching. He's able to maximize his career because he understands what it, what the, what the expectation is. And what people don't understand about uh, EB, he played nine years in the league Mm -hmm. and he played behind some great players. 
And he had to fight and claw every day to try to be a starter for the Chargers or the Bengals. He had to play special teams. He had to do all the things that we had to do. And he understood what it took to get to be the best of the best, right? And so that's how he coaches. And again, that's why you see production. Yeah. And I think a lot of people like misconstrue that aggressive demeanor as like a kind of a maliciousness, but he does like legitimately care about you. And he's like trying to advocate for that. Bro, Logan, a couple years ago, I was going through like kind of a, you know, you retire, you're trying to figure life out. We all go through our little stuff. And I had saw him at the combine. He stopped working. Mm -hmm. This is what people don't understand. Like he was like, Hey, I want you to come hang out with me all week. So literally all week I'd wake up, I'd go with him. I'd sit in there with him and Andy Reid. Uh, so we go to lunch together, breakfast, dinner, and we would just talk because he cares about you as a person, right? Like, yes, he, you know, like I said, he, he got on me and rode me, but yeah. I'm like a son to him yeah. because our bond and how we, and, that, and how we work. And so I try to tell people like, yes, he's a, he has an aggressive nature, but we play an aggressive sport. Mm-hmm. I want my play caller to try to score every, like I've been around play callers. They're like, Oh, we just want to score 21 points a game. Like who wants that? Right. I want a play caller that wants to go for 50, 60 points, put your foot on their throat and crush it, right? I want that type of mindset, but you just don't get that type of mindset by just calling plays and just being happy-go-lucky all the time. Like, you you, you get those type – you get that attitude in your offense takes the demeanor of their play caller by the way they coach. And I think that that's something that, you know, I'm excited to see how the commanders handle it. So that's really interesting that you mentioned that because I was listening to an interview earlier today with Brad Childress, uh, who is obviously the Vikings head mm-hmm. coach who hired AB or EB gave him his first job uh, that Chester Taylor season. And then ultimately uh, the position coach for, for Adrian Peterson. And he talked about how one of the things that the enemy will certainly understand is kind of his role within the, the commander's ecosystem. This is a defense first football team valuing the ball time of possession is going to be very important it's how they won games when they did win them last year yet having the aggressiveness to be like no we're trying to score every drive it seems like he has a really fine balance between those things because to hear you say one thing and then children say the other that seem to be opposed but but aren't like how does how does he balance that and kind of his understanding of you know what needs to be done beyond scoring points but the 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 kind of place this offense will have within the commander's ability to win games? Well, I think situational football, right? Each situation depends on a certain play call, a certain mindset going into it. Is it four-minute mode? So we'll practice. Logan, to tell you, we used to practice four-minute mode at UCLA live. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the, guys are getting destroyed no, out yeah. there, right? Like, like it. <clears throat> he harped on that. If it's two-minute situation, live. Like he understands the importance of the situations, goal line, short yardage, third downs. Uh, we call it rundowns, first and second down, right? Uh, depending on end of the half, end of the, the game, it's all situational based. And this is the thing. I could care less how great of a defense you have. Scoring points makes everyone happy, right? Like I just watched the 30 for 30 on the Baltimore Ravens. They went a whole month without scoring a touchdown. Like, come on, man. Like, what, like, I don't care how great of a defense you are. If someone scores points and gives you a lead, you're happy about it. You're, you're ecstatic about it. And so, yeah, you want to, you still want to possess the clock. And I, and I was with Jack Del Rio in Jacksonville where we go on 18 play drives, but we would score at the end. What's the purpose of going on an 18 play drive and punting the ball or missing a field goal or kicking a field goal? We had a couple last year. It doesn't go great. No, no. not so, good. Not good. At the end of the day, you want to score points. And I think that's the biggest thing with the enemy is he's going to bring a mindset of, of 
we're going to be aggressive in nature, right? You could be aggressive running the football. You can be aggressive yeah. throwing screens. You can be aggressive passing the ball, and it doesn't necessarily have to be down the field, right? But it may be a third and one, and you take a you you don't take a shot. You throw it twelve yards instead of going for a run on first down, right? Like or on third down to get the first. And then there's certain situations that you do um, that you go. And the other part is this. I love this about uh, the enemy. He's not afraid to take something out of the playbook, hmm. right? Like he used to threaten us with that. Again, I, I shouldn't <laughs> say threat, but he used to tell us like, yeah. well, if you can't get this done, we're not going to run it, yeah. which to me is the smartest thing ever in the world. Cause why would I put you in a situation to be bad? Right. If we can't practice and run this play and have confidence in it as a group and not the group being the 11 guys on the field, but the 22 guys are on offense, right? Or how many ever guys you have suited up on offense? If I can't run that with my third left tackle or my left, my second left tackle or my third running back or whoever it may be, my backup quarterback, I'm not confident in that. And you saw that in Kansas City. When when Chad Henney went in the game against, what is it? it had to be the Jaguars, I think. Yeah, it was the Jaguars. It's only right against the Jags. He, do, he does this, <laughs> right? The game is on the line, and they come out and they run stick. A simple play. But every play after that they ran, there's something that they were confident in that Chad can do, and there was the same plays that Mahomes could do. And so to me, that is that's I've been in I've been with teams and I've seen plays and I've talked to players where offensive coordinators have a thousand plays in their play sheet and call sixty of them in a game. Yeah. Does that make sense? I'd rather go in there with thirty plays and call those plays three and four times in a row to get to sixty, right? And so I think it's important that that is, even though as a 17-year-old I called it a threat, but it wasn't a threat. It was like, if we can't do it, if I can't trust that you can do it, I'm not going to put you in that situation to not be successful. And there's better stuff, right? There's better stuff in your playbook that you feel good about. And I think to your point, I think like, even though they're, you know, scoring points is so important, like he, his aggressive nature in situational football, kind of what you were alluding to there, it's also an advantageous situation for this offense, right? He's going to scheme up that third and one to put you in the best position to be successful. So I think even if you don't want to score a ton of points, like for whatever reason, you want to lean on the defense, like he has an ability to kind of attack each segment of the game in a really high level way, which I think is going to be very, very valuable. So I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing him here. I'm looking forward to talking to him a little bit. It's, it's an exciting opportunity. I got to say this to you guys too, because it's so funny. Um, <clears throat> The staff that I first went to UCLA with, Kyle Shanahan was a GA. Dude. <laughs> so he That's learned a lot of what we did at UCLA. He learned and still runs with the Niners. Yeah. Um, obviously, his tree comes off of that as well. The back of that, Tom Cable, one of the better offensive line coaches in the game, was on that staff as well. Obviously, you were there, Logan. Mm -hmm. um, Dino Babers, one of the top. He had Syracuse rolling for a little bit. Go like, Orange. Yeah, like <laughs> Finally, we hit my alma mater. But what I'm trying to tell, like, <laughs> that staff, yeah. And that knowledge that they, those guys have. And the and then on top of the Andy Reid staff and the resource that he could reach out to and the people like it's, it's, it's unlimited. And so I'm not saying he's going to be the Niners offense. I'm not saying that, but you're going to see glimpses of it. You'll see motions and shifts and maybe a fullback in there and some outside zone, more physicality. You'll see some play action pass off of that. Um, and so to me, I, I think it's an exciting time to be a commanders fan. I, I think, um, well, I, I think before it's an exciting time. I think you got to figure out who's going to be your quarterback. I know Ron Rivera's <laughs> kind of told everybody that it's going to be Sam Howell. And I know he he played well in a game or two in that uh, at at the end of the season. 
But I think as these things go, you, you're going to be surprised by how this offense looks and how um, how fast they play and how how tough they are and how how physical they become. Yeah, I said I said yesterday on the radio show, this is uncharacteristically good for this organization. Like th- there has not been a move that has me at least as an, as an analyst as excited and optimistic that they have made since I started covering the team in 2015. And that's, you know, multiple quarterback acquisitions. That's, you know, spending big on Landon Collins and like pick your coaches, anything, Uh, maybe outside of firing Bruce Allen, there's been nothing that this organization has done uh, that is as good as this, at least on paper. 